This is the Coming Out Loved and Supported Podcast, the group for the LGBTQ plus community and family of LGBTQ plus wanting to learn more and do better. I am your host, Annie Henderson. I'm a certified professional life coach and also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. We are so glad you're here. Please like and subscribe. And if you know anyone that is needing support as they are going through their journey, please share because I honestly believe by doing so, we can save lives. Hello, this is Annie Henderson, your coming out coach on the Coming Out Loved and Supported podcast. Thanks for being here for this episode with Andrea Hips. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Hi, I'm great, Annie. How are you? (laughs) So good. I'm so glad to see you again because we've um, done a little uh, panel, I would say, before, haven't we? Yes, it was fantastic. I love being able to see your face again. Yes, that was so exciting. I might have to include the link for that if we we still have it. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So everyone listening, um, stick around. Let me tell you a little bit about Andrea and um, what she has to offer you because everyone listening um, can probably relate to what she has to share and you can use it. So Andrea Hips is a licensed social worker and CDC certified divorce coach who helps parents all along the divorce continuum resolve their divorce debris and create beautiful to address families for their kids. I love that every time I hear it. (laughs) She's the author of the internationally best-selling book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life, Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce, which outlines the four practices you need to create wholeness and healing for you and your kids before, during, and after divorce. Whoa. Andrea, I'm so, I'm so glad you're here to talk about this because uh, I'm, you know, my parents have were divorced, and I now have been through a divorce. So, uh, and gosh, do you have, um, I guess, any statistics on uh, how many people are affected by divorce? You know, there's the sort of common one that everybody throws out, right, that half of Americans are Mm -hmm. are finding that their marriages end in divorce. But what we don't usually talk about is how that sort of compounds itself afterwards into the children of divorce. And so when I'm in a in a group and I'm talking to somebody and ask people to sort of raise their hand if you've been affected by divorce, I'm finding a majority of the room, more the large majority of the rooms are affected in some way, whether it was as a child, as you say, as a person yourself who's experiencing it. And so I think we're really coming to the point where it's less of an exception even though that's sort of a sad reality. But when we start to think about the fact that it's not the exception anymore, what does that mean for how we start dealing with it and addressing in it, excuse me, addressing it in ways that up-level it rather than sort of accept this basement approach that we've come to know since the seventies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, for, you know, my parents didn't, didn't get a divorce until we were in high school. Um, But my, I I did have a half brother. So even though my parents, you know, were still together, my, my mom had already been through one marriage 
and, and I had a half sibling. So yeah, even though it's 50%, there's, you know, half siblings and several siblings all over the place. So I feel like it splinters out very quickly. (laughs) It does. It does. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, first off, I want to say thank you so much for being an ally. Um, Of course. It's, it's great. And I know um, Shashank was on um, a few and you know, Shashank um, a few episodes ago, and he was talking about, you know, potential clients reaching out to him as an LGBTQ couple and how they were like, you know, kind of holding their breath and hesitant if you would even work with them. So Mm -hmm. knowing that you are um, open and willing to, to help anyone um, does take, you know, a, a big weight off of a lot of our shoulders, knowing that you, you get it, you understand us, you're, open to helping anyone would would you say that's accurate? (laughs) Absolutely. And, and as we've discussed before, the issues that people face as humans in relationship are largely the same. We want to feel love. We want to give love. We want to be understood. We want to know that others are understanding what it is we're trying to give them. And in, in the issues of divorce and even coming out, which you are helping people with, I think some of the things that we're trying to really root into ourselves is how do I be me when uh, sections of the world don't agree with me being me. And that's a very hard place to stand in. And, uh, and, and I hope that there is a sense of, of comfort and relief and knowing that even though maybe the top storyline may change in terms of your identity or your marriage partner, that underneath there is a a measure of love and a, a depth of love that is trying to emerge in our world that these circumstances often try to push us to bring more out of. So that's, that's my hope with people is that we can continue to create a bigger love, not only in ourselves, but that we can give away as well. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for Mm -hmm. saying that so beautifully. Um, Yeah. So uh, yes, we were definitely talking and chatting earlier and I, I was sharing that a lot of my clients and a lot of the people that I talk to on, on TikTok (laughs) are, Mm -hmm. um, later in life. So they're coming out later in life, Mm -hmm. right? They've been hiding this part of themselves. So, you know, in, in terms of people pleasing, um, communication can sometimes be a little stunted. So knowing, you know, what you have to share about how, you know, important communication is in terms of co-parenting, like you were giving me some advice before, (laughs) before this call, even, um, what, what do you have to say about the importance of communication when it comes to um, divorce and co-parenting? Yeah, you know, I, I really do love that question because I think people who find themselves in a co-parenting situation after divorce would often classify themselves as some degree of a failure. Mm-hmm. They, they have some uh, person or couple in their life that is behaving in what they might consider to be one of the many gold standards of Mm co-parenting. They are working together, they support each other, maybe they spend more time together and and they really sort of gel together on the issue of co-parenting. And so as a result, every time and every day that you're not meeting that standard, you're like, we're not doing it right. What am I doing wrong that I can't make this better? And so one of the things that I really start as a sort of baseline with people is, 
you get your own story. You don't start at what they have and nor do you need to compare with what they have. You need to start with what you have and we need to work on the assets of what you have. And I think most people approach their co-parenting situation as I'm bringing all the assets, they're bringing all of the deficits. <laughs> they aren't able to, to receive the largesse of my assets. And so therefore we're never gonna get anywhere. Or, and, or vice versa, right? They have everything and I have nothing to bring. Absolutely. And so how you talk about how you're going about it matters a great deal. And I really encourage people, especially on the front end, or even if you're at sort of a crossroads where co-parenting just continues to be a struggle for you to really step into parallel parenting, which I know some people talk about, but it's sort of gaining a little more steam in that you don't try to co anything in the beginning because co is cooperative, co is together, co is mutual. <laughs> and for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's not, a, that's not a realistic starting place. You just went through a divorce. You just dismantled every good connection you might've had mm -hmm. in a legal system that doesn't support coming out in a, in a co sort of way. And so when you start with parallel parenting, what you're doing is taking your slice of the, of the parenting time that you have, which no matter what percentage it is, it's always a hundred percent, right? In your yes. mind, you are a hundred percent parent in your time. You might be 50, 75, 20. And so how do you bring the absolute best leveled up parent situation you can to your child in that time and let the other person be? That's the hardest part. Co-parenting insists that we meddle in the other person's being. And anytime we do that, we're going to get a wall. We're going to get resistance. We're going to get pushback. We're going to get more wounds. And the goal of co-parenting is to stop the wounding and to start the building, right? Because we just reduced ourselves to zero in the divorce. Mm -hmm. Now we have got to start building something new. And what we do is we build on the assets. And so I really start people with going through and sometimes painfully looking at the blessings of their co-parent. You simply cannot start by looking at what they can't be. Well, mm -hmm. you can, many people do. But if you want to get somewhere, you're going to need to turn the table. You're going to need to start being very vocal and very genuine about what they are in a positive way. That's step one. Gratitude, right? Yes. Starting with gratitude. Uh, yes, we'll always get you further. That's a great practice any and at all times. Yes, Ab absolutely. And, and I think when I'm talking to co-parents who are particularly frustrated, typically, right, it's what I'm hearing the most is it's a lack of engagement, or they're not tuned into the kid. That's what I get a lot. Mm. What are they doing right, though? What are they doing right? Sometimes it's being faithful with financial support. Sometimes it's frankly, staying out of your way so that you can be the better parent and do the directing of sort of the life messages that you want to be delivering. Whatever it is, I want you to not only grab hold of it, say it to yourself. It's really great when you can say it to your kid, mm -hmm. when you can bring that pre parent's presence into your home, even when they're not there and celebrate what they offer it is huge for our kids to hear that. And it creates a great deal more continuity in their lives, which is what we're after, right? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, so we were talking earlier about, you know, communication with with your ex and, you know, um, and it, it makes me think of, so I was a, 
a first grade teacher. And then I was a, an elementary school counselor. And, um, one example we like to give is that, um, you know, you don't teach the kids how to do a fire drill in the middle of a fire drill or in the middle of a real fire, right? right there. Right. We don't want their amygdalas activated and mm-hmm. you can't teach anything when someone's in that defensive mode. And you mm-hmm. pointed that out earlier, right. To the importance of having some regular check-ins and not around an issue <laughs> that can already right. trigger somebody and have them in that defensive mode. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause that's so important. Absolutely. And, you know, even the coaches need coaching. Cause they, I, even though I tell that story all the time went right over my head. Right. Well, and I think it involves uh, a measure of humility that we get out of practice with when we're living in a two address family. And so as parents, we can often feel like we know the whole story. We know our kid, we know what they're struggling with. We know what we're being awesome about and handling that. And here's sort of Mr. or Mrs. not cooperating. Mm -hmm. And, And there is a pride to that that doesn't allow for true communication to exist, even as you feel like you're offering it. And so the humility comes from being able to initiate that check-in from a place of, I don't know it all. I don't have all of the information about my child. This person who also helped form them and continues to help form them is a resource to me in learning more. That doesn't mean I have to agree with them, but their observations are critical to me getting the fuller picture because our kids share different parts of themselves with different people, right? Right. And that, and and parent, their parents are no exception. And so how do you create space for the learning environment, which is a respectful environment when you're approaching your Mm co-parent? I just want to hear your impressions of how you think our kids doing it period. That's it. You don't add, cause I'm worried or I've noticed you stink at this, or I'm really getting this feedback. It's just, tell me what you're seeing. That's a very respectful approach that puts you in the place of a learner, that puts you in the place of being willing to be surprised and being able to approach them as an asset, not as a liability to the situation. So that, that again, is a, a baseline way to start a check-in. The, the check-ins honestly don't even have to be that regular, but when you can express an interest in their perspective, from a genuine place of knowing I don't have all the answers and they might have a few, it will sort of start to crack the stalemate that often happens between co-parents and their worldviews. Yeah, no, I really like that. Like, (laughs) so, you know, I was giving myself a pat on the back at, at one point of, Oh, we're, you know, we're co-parenting and we, we don't fight check done. (laughs) But I like the proactive approach of it can be even better. Like that's not the ultimate goal is, you know, you're not fighting over everything or anything. It can be better. You can do this, you know, because my daughter's a a teenager now. So there's that point of she's pretty independent. So, you know, I'm able to, instead of call in to check with dad, I can just call directly to her because we we definitely stalled Mm -hmm. out on getting her a phone for the longest. Um, and you know, there's that, oh, that's just easier. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you don't, you don't feel like talking to that other person, but I Mm -hmm. I like the idea of check-ins and, um, our, our family will do check-ins 
you know, with Scarlet, where it's, it's it sounds mm-hmm. like kind of similar to what you're talking about, where, you know, around the dinner table, we will give each other some feedback and basically like a glow and a grow, like, oh, you're mm-hmm. doing this way, mm-hmm. you can work on this and she can talk to us and we can talk to her. And it's just, mm-hmm. we're all on the same page, but yeah, it makes sense to include all of the parents. Um, so I, I like that. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the other impact that that has is, when you do it, just the two of you outside of the child, no one's having to posture, Mm -hmm. but it also feeds the better part of, of reducing the fight or flight that we can find ourselves somewhat permanently in as co-parents, because Mm -hmm. most co-parents that I talk to are deeply afraid that they will lose connection to their kid. Mm-hmm. And they will lose that connection because this wild and uncontrolled other parent that you now have relatively little influence over will somehow distort that relationship. And newsflash, they feel the same way about you. And so how do you create a space that says, I am going to fight for their need to be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I want to hear what you're struggling with so that I can help interpret you and narrate you to our kid. Right. So, so for example, in my own co-parenting situation, we had a a period of time where their dad was, was preoccupied, let's say, and I'm getting this news, right. They come home and they tell me, well, he was distracted and it was hard to connect to him and whatever. I don't go to him and say, all I'm hearing is that you're distracted, right. This is defensive. It puts him on, on alert. Like you're going to try to take them away from me because I'm not paying attention. Just saying, tell me how it's going with the kids. That's how we started it. And he was able to say, here's what's going on. I felt a great deal of empathy for what he was going through. And the next time they came back, I was able to say, dad's working really hard on this and this and this and families do that. And when we have windows like that, it's really important to give people space. And so every uh, micro moment of our two address families, to me, I'm always asking, what is this situation how is the situation needing to be sort of controlled or narrated into a space of learning for my kids? Mom and dad are going to talk because that's what moms and dads do. Mom and mom are going to talk because that's what moms do. We're going to now do this because this is what you do as an adult. I'm feeling frustrated with him because that's what we do. Like always bringing the normalcy. I think when our kids get nervous is when they think you're in a situation you shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh no this is how it's going. And instead we just go, it's normal when you're 15 to not want to talk to your parents. It's normal when you're eight that you want to just spend most of your time with one of your parents. Like whatever that is, we're taking the "Ah," out of it and making it, this is what we're doing. We're all okay. And so are you. And so do we keep reintroducing that to our families? Does that make sense? Yeah. Beautiful. And I'm, you know, it's a lot of times I'm, I'm sure families think it's like a one and done. Like we had a conversation once when they were four. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the same page. How how often would you recommend having these check-ins? That's a really interesting question because I think at various times you're going to find that you're going to need them more often. Mm -hmm. And there may be times when you only need them once a year. And so, so, so to me, the situations that emerge in our children's life, for example, if you have a child that's struggling with mental health, you may want to, you may want to be checking in once a month as parents on your experience of that person. You may be checking in after each transition back to mm-hmm. each house. 
how did it go for you? What did you learn? What did you observe? What can we deduce together? And really those conversations are about putting yourselves on the same side of the table, looking at an issue together. And the more we can do that as co-parents, that the issue is not each other, but the issue is the issue, Mm -hmm. um, then that sort of helps us to stay um, connected to each other. But as far as putting it on a schedule, I feel like most things have an ebb and a flow. And, and the call that I made recently to my co-parent, we probably hadn't had a, a no agenda talk in months. And, and we really enjoyed it because it really wasn't about figuring out who's doing what wrong to make this so difficult. It was just, I, I respect you as an adult and as a, a person who's observing the, the rearing of this child to speak some truth. And I'll, and I'll wade through it myself. I'm not going to argue with you about whether or not your truth is true. I'll just wade through your observations and, and piece them into my own reality. Yeah. So uh, I have this question. When it comes to communication styles in, in person versus on the phone versus mm-hmm. email versus text, mm-hmm. and if some people like to have something written so they can go back and refer to it. But I also know (laughs) with text, there can be so many assumptions made and misunderstandings. Um, Any tips on what you might think is the best way to communicate when, if someone's starting out fresh with this, having these new goals for co-parenting? Sure. Yeah. And and if you're in a, I would just put a caveat to say, if you are in a co-parenting relationship with a high conflict person, you are going to have very different rules and regulations than the ones I'm offering now, right? Because high conflict people are, they have all or nothing thinking, they have unmanaged emotions, they have erratic behaviors, and they're very good at blaming. And if you're working or co-parenting with one of those people, you're going to, you're going to need a totally different communication strategy. Um, and, and one of those that I recommend to people is BIF, which I'm not sure if you uh, instruct people in that, but it stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Bill Eddy's High Conflict Institute gave us those. And so every communication before you hit send and before it comes out of your mouth, is it brief? Is it short and to the point? Is it informative? Does it communicate all of the details that you need it to communicate? Is it friendly, meaning it's neutral? And is it firm, meaning have I solved the conversation in this text instead of looping it for another round? Okay, so that, that's sort of the high conflict person advice. When you've got sort of the garden variety, uh, low level irritation co-parenting, which I find <laughs> most people that I'm talking to are in, well, I shouldn't say most, probably half the people are high conflict and half the people aren't. Your, your approach, when you think about communicating, whether it's in person, on text, or, or in an email, is really to communicate two things, respect and curiosity. Meaning I'm coming to you, assuming you have what it takes to participate in this. And I'm going to ask questions rather than deliver ultimatums. So if you have a child who you're not quite sure that they like being at their dad's house or like being at their mom's house, your, your question, whether that's on the phone or in text is how are you feeling about how our kid is doing? What's it been like for you during those three to five days that they're with you? When we ask questions, we're at our best. When we make statements, she came home and said, you didn't pay attention to her. That, that, that doesn't 
communicate respect and it doesn't communicate curiosity. It's, it's assigning a truth or, and it's really not considerate of the fact that you do not have the whole picture. And that's exactly what happens in divorce too, right? We get very connected to our story, to our version of events, and we continue that into co-parenting to our detriment. And so how do we drop the storyline and go, I will every day admit to myself and work at admitting to myself that I only have a portion of the story that sometimes, you know, 10 to 50 to 70% of my child's life is being lived in other places. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know it all. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could ask this person to contribute. And again, I have the right to weed through whatever that is, but how I create that respect and, and ongoing communication, again, regardless if it's on the phone or on a text or in an email is really the posture you bring to it is way more important than the delivery mechanism. Again, when you're not in a high conflict situation where things have to be documented. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, so many good takeaways. I'd never heard of Biff before. So, um, that, that totally makes sense. <laughs> well, it, and, and Bill Eddie's high conflict Institute is a, is a gift to all of us. And we should probably tag it in the notes so that people can jump onto it. They have a great, uh, workbook for parents. They offer several classes to help people really learn how to dial in because it's less about their sort of clinical diagnosis, whether they're they're bipolar or they're histrionic or whatever it is, it's really, they're bringing these sort of common four problems of, of erratic behavior and unmanaged emotions and blaming and delivering them to you on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. And so it's less about how to get them to change always and more, how do I become the kind of person who can manage a high conflict person relationship for the long haul? Because it is not easy. And, and if, if, as a listener, if you're in that place, I highly encourage you to rally some support around you because you're going to need it in order to fortify yourself to handle it. Yeah. So Andrea, when would someone typically reach out to you? I know you said before, during, and after divorce. Um, What do most of your clients typically do? I would say right now I have half and half who are sort of before and in, I would lump those together. And then people who are are five years out really from the situation Mm. and have some debris that still just doesn't quite click in that they, they're out of the, the hysteria of divorce Mm -hmm. and they're in quote, the life now, and they're aware that this portion of their life sort of puts a damper on most other parts of their lives. And I think there's, there's a certain type of person who is uh, done with that, who's like, I want the freedom from my own self and from them to really live well in this and to give my kids a really banner experience. And I work a lot with those people and they're really amazing. And then I also work with people who are in the, the do I or don't I and, and really stepping through divorce. And those people are aware that you get one chance to write the story of your divorce. Your kids get hundreds of chances to retell it for you. Mm. And so having a divorce coach while you're going through divorce really puts guardrails up so that you can be in the room when your kids tell those stories so that you can be at their future weddings or, or partnerships and, and being able to be a yes in their life and being able to be proud of how you handled yourself and really have been an example of how you handle relationships to deteriorate in ways that can't be reclaimed. And so the, the, I, I'm in on both sides and really the, the deeper, bigger goal is how do we create beautiful persons that can live in beautiful families? Yes. So, um, what, one more thing before we get into how to get in touch with you and everything, um, how important is 
um, how we talk to ourselves. I know like mindset in general, but in terms of divorce and because I know, you know, a lot of times misery loves company, right? Mm -hmm. If you've had a horrible divorce, you want to tell the other person about it. And just sometimes the expectations are the, you know, the divorce is going to be miserable. And that's, I, a lot of times people stay in that situation that maybe they don't need to be in thinking it's either too late or they don't, they're doing it for the kids. Um, so talk to us a, just a little bit about um, how, how we talk to ourselves and how we set a, ourselves up for success around divorce. Yeah. Talk, how we talk to ourselves about what we're going through, you know, dictates the measure and expansiveness of the feelings that we bring to the situation too. And so one of the things I like to work with people on is how we connect the feelings we're having to the thoughts that we are feeding ourselves, right? If we're feeling like we're failing at co-parenting, what are we thinking and what are we saying to ourselves that's causing ourselves to feel like we're a failure at co-parenting? Well, I'm a failure at co-parenting because I'm thinking that he or she is not talking to me enough about our kid. Okay, that right there is going to be a thought error. (laughs) You, you don't have control over who they are. So what would it take for you to feel like you're in a great co-parenting relationship? Well, you'd need to think that I'm offering the absolute best of myself, no matter what my co-parent is doing. Well, then how do we make that a believable thought to sort of walk through life with? And, and we don't, we don't expose a lot of these thoughts because we're busy, um, very quietly and and not even in a loud way, sometimes blaming the other person for making it so hard that we, we really are not willing to put the work in to level up our side to be the absolute most beautiful, clean side of the street to offer our family and our former partner in service of a potential relationship in the future. And so I, I, I want for people to know how they're talking to themselves. I think it probably takes a professional in some ways to dislodge what it means to start a new thought process with yourself, Mm -hmm. what it means to even dream in a way that is believable to create the thing that you're wanting. And that's really where my heart is, is, is helping people see that the ways that they're talking to themselves are creating the realities that they don't like. Yes. And, and, and it really puts them back in the driver's seat to make up and narrate something very different and very beautiful where they really are the hero or heroine of their story and of their family. And they can know with, with deep pride and deep knowing that they are not only handling it well, but being that microcosm for their kids of this is what it looks like to handle life well. Because although the situation for our kids may not be the challenge of coming out or the challenge of divorce, they are going to have a challenge. And this road tests what it looks like for a fully formed adult to handle challenge. And to me, that's a gift to be able to do that while our kids are still living with us. Mm-hmm. This is how we deal with difficult people. They're going to go off and have a roommate and, and have difficulties. And they are going to be able to call on you as a, a trusted and realistically road tested advisor when it comes to these things. And and that's the gift we're all wanting, right? Is more connection with our kids. Yes. You said that so well, Andrea. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. So many 
tidbits and wisdom um, for anyone listening that has already had at least one takeaway. Um, I would encourage you to share this audio with someone that you know, that's going through divorce or that is um, maybe struggling with co-parenting or, you know, thinks that they're doing okay, but no, it could be even better. <laughs> so like, yes, I, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to um, level up on my co-parenting or parallel parenting. I like that a lot. <laughs> and um, I don't doubt you're bringing the absolute best to your family. You're just a total <laughs> source of joy in the world. And so I'm excited about what you already do. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> so Andrea, how can people reach out to you? Sure. I have a website. It's my name, andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. There's two P's and hips. And that will also link you to my Instagram account and my Facebook account where I am posting uh, about five times a week tips and tricks on how to manage divorce and how to manage yourself. And uh, if you go to my website, you can also download a free workbook called How to Communicate with Your Former Partner Even When They're Difficult. And that might give you some more ideas about how to start imagining it. And then if you would like, I would be more than happy to talk to any of your listeners. I offer a a complimentary 30 minute discovery call just to really strategize about the situation you're in. And, and even if we aren't able to work together to really give you some, some marching orders about what the future could look like for you, if you gave some attention in certain areas. So all of those things are available. You can find them all if you start my website. Perfect. Yes. Um, what a beautiful offer. Thank you so much. Um, so much insight and clarity can come from those calls. So if you feel a little tug to reach out to her, do it. If you you hear her voice, she's very warm and welcoming (laughs) and open, and it'll be a great conversation, especially if you're surrounded by people that, are telling you the opposite, right? That it has to be right. hard and it's going to be like this, the rest of your co-parenting life. Um, yes. it can be better. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Great hope. Um, <laughs> so here's our fun and silly question for those of us that love, uh, Netflix, Hulu and all things to watch. Um, what are you currently watching? Well, you know, I have, I have two things. One that's more on topic to, to our conversation today. It's called Erasing Family. And I, I'm pretty sure you know Ginger Gentile too. Sure, she yes. did a documentary on parental alienation and divorce. And it's very well done. It's heartbreaking. Um, but it's the kind of heartbreaking that we need to have in our lives so that we can stay aware of the ways that we are contributing to the problem. And so how do we create spaces for our kids to have full relationships with both parents, even when one of them is more of a disappointment than the other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as far as other shows, I feel like I'm one of the latest people on board to anything, but I'm currently current in that I'm watching Demi Lovato's, uh, explanation of what happened in her most recent mental health crisis. And it's been very interesting. I've been watching it with my kids because she talks a lot about um, what it meant to hit the bottom and what it meant to face herself and face some of her people pleasing tendencies, which I know you do a lot of work in. And it's been very fascinating, hard to watch because it's hard to watch people suffer, Mm -hmm. but I sort of get the teaser each week that she's growing into something um, more and more um, solid and and stable in herself, at least as she tells it. So I recommend that. I think it's called Dancing with the Devil. I'm pretty sure it's uh, on, and it's on YouTube. YouTube. On YouTube, yes, yeah. Yeah. She's releasing one a week and I think, 
today, in fact, is the, or this is a, a Tuesday that we're recording this. I think the episodes come out on Tuesdays. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. What yeah. age group do you think would be, that would be appropriate for? You know, I'm going to send that back to the parent because there's a lot of triggering types of uh, material in it, whether mm-hmm. it's her sexual abuse, obviously there's a drug overdose. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on in her story. And so mm-hmm. I think it's one that requires some conversation on the front and the back ends, depending on where your children are in the, their Better to watch with them than without, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. The great conversations that can come from that. Perfect. Andrea, thank you so much for, for coming on here and sharing all of your, your wisdom and just putting some new thoughts and hope around parallel parenting and co-parenting and and what that can look like, even if, you know, you're five years into it, it can, there's still hope and it can be even better. Yes. There's always, I'm glad you used that word hope because there is always a great deal of hope and it largely centers in how you approach your situation. And there are always ways to adjust and evolve that regardless of whether or not your former partner participates. So don't give up. Yes. That's so beautiful. All right. Um, here is our quote for today. All young people, regardless of sexual orientation or identity, deserve a safe and supportive environment in which to achieve their full potential. And that was from Harvey Milk. Beautiful. Yes, loved it. Thank you once again for listening to the Coming Out Loved and Supported podcast. Please check out the show notes on how to reach out to Andrea and other great resources for support groups and more. If you haven't heard this today, I love you. And yes, you are enough in all the ways. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are the kind of person that likes to help others, then please share this with friends and family. If it helped you, then it will probably help others. Also, if you're needing support and inspiration daily, then connect with me at Life Coach Annie on Facebook. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen today. If you could do me a favor, please leave a positive review so that more people in the LGBTQ community can find meaningful content that motivates.